welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. This episode is the first part of a two-episode series about fat. In this episode, or part one, we discuss how to reduce unwanted or excess fat. Then in the following episode, or part two of the series, we will discuss the novel uses for some of that harvested excess fat. You might be surprised. But for now, let's talk about how to get rid of that fat we don't want, whether it's in a noticeable area that's been difficult to reduce, or it's present more globally. So these days, with all the technology that has been developed over the last decades, what are the current options for fat reduction? Are the choices only surgical? Which treatments are more effective? Are there limits to how much can be accomplished with these methods? And the biggest question, will they last? Well, these and more are answered today by plastic surgeon Dr. Christy Hamilton, coming to us from Houston, Texas. She has some great information about this subject, and she shares that knowledge with us right here. Well, I'm very excited that we have with us today Dr. Christy Hamilton, who is in solo private practice of plastic surgery in the Houston area. Welcome, Dr. Hamilton. Thank you so much for having me. Delighted to be here. Oh, great. We have a lot of fun things to talk about here today. Um, an interesting topic to talk about today, but I would first like to ask you the scope of your practice. What kind of cases do you do? What kind of patients do you see? So I'm a board certified plastic surgeon. I focus entirely on aesthetic plastic surgery um, comprehensively. So face, nose, breast, and body, head to toe. Full gamut. I yes. love that. Well, and speaking of that full gamut, I'd like to know what it is you love about plastic surgery. What drew you to it, or what do you really enjoy about it? That's a great question. I think the number one thing that comes to mind is just the relationships I build with my patients, really getting to walk them through perhaps like insecurities, things like that. Seeing the confidence that comes, you know, as they're healing from surgery, uh, maybe going for that promotion or starting a new relationship, something like that. But you can have great relationships in other areas outside of, of surgery or medicine. And so for plastic surgery specifically, it's the complexity and the problem solving. I love that we work head to toe. Um, I love anatomy. And then I love that each patient, it's like no two breasts are the same. No liposuction case is the same. Everyone's got a different nose, perhaps different goals. And I love getting to uh, work with patients, figure out really 
what they're trying to accomplish and then execute that. And so no two patients are the same, no two surgeries the same, keeps it interesting and exciting. Yeah, I think you've really nailed it in a nutshell right there. I felt that way when I was practicing as well. It's just the variety of things you get to do and the creativity that you have to have. You know, we have a certain set of tools, if you will, techniques and such, and we're presented with different problems. We have to figure out what tools we're going to use, what we're going to do to try to accomplish the patient's goal. So I agree with you. I think that's just so satisfying. Well, we're here to talk about the management of unwanted or excess fat, both surgical and non-invasive options. And I think a lot of listeners really might have a great interest in this topic. So could you first explain how the accumulation of fat works in our bodies? Absolutely. So as I talk to patients, the way I like to explain it is, is first of all, you have to think about um, your own natural body composition, right? This is somewhat dictated just by your genetics. Like some people carry more fat in their hips or their stomach area. It might be under the chin where you have the only excess fat cells in your body. But the first thing that will happen is if let's if you consume some extra cheeseburgers one day yeah. is that your body's going to absorb that energy and it has to be stored somewhere if you have extra and that extra will first go to the fat cells that we already have. So your body's not going to produce new fat cells. It's going to take the fat cells, which are called adipocytes, and they're going to enlarge and take in that energy and store it for use later. And that's genetically dictated where that fat will go. Mm-hmm. Once we've now consumed so many cheeseburgers that are <laughs> a lot of cheeseburgers, <laughs> a lot of cheeseburgers um, that those fat cells say, hey, they signal back to your brain, I'm full. Like there's no more energy to be stored here. That's when we start producing more fat cells themselves. So it's not just that you have full ones, you are actually producing new ones. And so that's one of the reasons that after gaining some additional weight for any number of reasons, American diet, pregnancy, um, medications, sometimes at that point it's harder because even as you uh, burn energy, diet and exercise, you still have an increased absolute number of fat cells after episodes like that. And those are all sending hormonal signaling that might be encourage you to hold on to some extra fat or weight that we might like to lose. So harder to get rid of. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yeah. So double trouble. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and certainly, as you say, we can try to lose excess fat the old fashioned way, diet and exercise, but sometimes that is not as successful as we'd like you know, especially in those stubborn areas that never seem to change much, even with weight loss. So as we're thinking about intervention, and and that's where a plastic surgeon can really have a role, let's start with discussing the surgical options. Um, Can we just directly cut out the fat or, or what can we do? That is definitely an option. Um, the, the first conversation I like to have with patients, I'm sure you do too, is just what is the canvas? What are the tissues like that we're working with? And specifically, what is the skin like in the areas that we're considering removing some fat? So when I see um, women who haven't had children, and men certainly have liposuction too, we're looking to see, okay, if I imagine if all that fat just mysteriously disappeared, are we going to have some loose skin afterwards? In which case we might want to think about removing that as well. Um, but if we've got excellent, thick, stretchy skin that hasn't been stretched out for a variety of other reasons, then that patient may be a good 
candidate for for liposuction where we leave everything skin and muscle wise and just go in and actually remove the fat alone with a minimally invasive surgery made through tiny incisions discreetly placed and there's all different ways to do liposuction (laughs) which we can get into but if you go in and just directly cut out fat you just have to consider where is that scar going to be and if I'm going to make a bigger scar on a patient I want to be really thoughtful about why I'm doing that and typically it's because we're going to remove something else like the skin to reshape the canvas of the body yeah, so just to distinguish when we are directly cutting out or what we call excising fat, we're usually taking some overlying skin with it. And so it does have to have a pretty large incision. But liposuction, as you say, is done with a little skinny tube, a little suction kind of situation through small incisions. And you're right, it doesn't do anything directly to the skin. And so as you say, you really have to screen your patient to figure out what's going to be the best solution for that person if you're deciding to treat it surgically. What are some examples of direct excision of fat, like with the abdomen or other part of the body? Are there other names that people might recognize? That's a great question. And the the most common one that people will have heard of is going to be the tummy tuck or the abdominoplasty. So in that surgery, we address typically like the front of the abdomen. It's very common after having uh, multiple pregnancies or after losing a significant amount of weight that you still have some extra fat and likely also some extra skin. It may even be hanging over the pants a little bit. Nobody likes that. (laughs) Nobody likes that. And so our goals are to create a nice, smooth, taut abdomen. So we will make a low incision um, in the bikini line where you'd wear a small bathing suit dissect up to the rib cage so that we can mobilize the skin, remove the extra, remove that extra fat at the same time. And I always combine that operation with at least some liposuction so we can contour the sides. And then we also will do what I like to call an internal corset, kind of zip up the ab area, strengthen that core that may have gotten stretched out for a variety of reasons. While you're there, might as well. Yeah. And then kind of artistically place everything back together so we have a nice smooth contour, a very natural silhouette, respecting the anatomy of a normal abdomen, and removing fat and leaving fat just depending on where those natural hills and valleys are that we want to create. So that would be the most aesthetic surgery for the abdomen. Another uh, surgery that we commonly do for the front is um, if you've got that overhang. Apron, if you will. (laughs) Yeah, this is a perfect, perfect name. The apron of excess skin and fat. That can be really bothersome. Patients can get rashes underneath of it. It can make wearing certain clothes and exercising even difficult. And so for that surgery, We just directly remove the skin and fat, but we don't do those other Mm -hmm. steps that I was just mentioning, like tightening the core or additional liposuction. Yeah, paniculectomy. You're just basically cutting off that roll, if you will, of skin and fat and closing it up. Yeah, so that is a, a form of direct excision. Yes. And I certainly found this in my practice, and I bet you do in yours, that liposuction becomes a much more common procedure than, you know, paniculectomy or tummy tuck, although tummy tucks are still quite popular. But is that what you find in your practice? 
Definitely. And, and like I said before, it just it really just comes down to the skin. So I think liposuction uh, really has an advantage um, overall across the entire body because, you know, we, do we necessarily expect our, our like our calves or our legs or our arms to have a whole lot of extra skin? Maybe, but more often than not, especially in younger patients, no. And so that's a really easy way to get in there with really tiny incisions. Right. Um, most patients don't want it to look really obvious that they've had aesthetic surgery. So liposuction is very agreeable to patients in terms of uh, that is very discreet and they can recover fairly quickly because they don't have big incisions and get back to normal life but still have that extra fat removed from the body which is different than some of the other techniques that are out there for fat uh, redistribution. Yeah. And you touched on this a little bit but what is the recovery like for liposuction versus say a tummy tuck? So I use an accelerated recovery protocol for both, um, meaning I've, I've moved entirely away from the use of narcotics in my practice. So we do anti-inflammatory medications, uh, medications that calm your nerves. And I'm not talking about anxiety. <laughs> Everyone yeah. has a little bit of that before surgery, yeah, sure. but really just those feeling nerves, um, the sensation of things. And so I send patients into surgery in this pre-calm state, and I think that also helps them recover nicely because their body doesn't go into that same kind of pain pathway of shock afterwards. Additionally, if I'm doing an open surgery with a big cut, like Mm -hmm. the tummy tuck, um, I like to inject a long-acting numbing medication. It's kind of like lidocaine that lasts for about three days. And so when, you know, when is the worst discomfort after surgery? I would venture to say for most people, it's those first couple of days. Absolutely. And so if you can, again, really numb those areas, that makes a huge difference in terms of never getting into that downward spiral of uh, so much pain that you're not moving and then not moving can lead to other issues. Um, And I'm a big proponent also of compression after both of these operations, as well as lymphatic massage to help mobilize that fluid. So lymphatic massage is a specialized form of post-operative massage where you can think of them kind of milking that extra fluid from the swelling and inflammation of surgery out of your body. Yeah. You can have a lymphatic massage without having to have surgery, but it's a really beautiful way to help depuff the body, so to speak, um, or the neck if that's where you're having it. Swelling is pain. Inflammation is pain. So anything that we can do to help calm those treated areas, patients feel better afterwards. And I think that expedites their recovery and improves the result as well. Yeah, that's great. Did you find in your practice or maybe early in your practice that the use of narcotics, opiates, that kind of thing would sometimes prolong or slow down the recovery of patients? A hundred percent. I think narcotics, you know, so many patients say they're nauseous, they're itchy, (laughs) maybe they're hallucinating a little bit. It can affect patients' moods um, and like how they're even interacting with their caregivers after surgery, um, having kind of like temporary personality changes and things like that. And I also don't think they help pain as much as some of these other medications. And so I phrase it to the patients like you're getting a cocktail Mm -hmm. of non-habit forming drugs. Take them. You don't need to be scared of them because you're not going to get addicted. You're not going to be harmed. And if you're feeling better, then you're not going to be lying in bed. You're going to get up. 
you're going to walk, you're less likely to get a blood clot or have some of these surgical complications from general anesthesia. And all of that allows these surgeries to be performed in an outpatient setting, meaning you go home afterwards. And I think patients also enjoy being in the comfort of their own homes with some assistance. Sure. Great insight. Well, as popular as surgical interventions have been, you know, these things that we're talking about, liposuction and direct excision like tummy tuck, et cetera, what about the non or less invasive procedures or treatments that are out there? What's available and what do you think are some of the more popular ones? There are all different kinds. The difference between the surgical and the non-surgical, I think, comes down to the concept of damaging fat cells with the hope of having your body flush them out. Yeah. And what do I mean by that? Um, With liposuction or surgery, those fat cells are removed. They're gone. We have them in a container. Sucked right out. (laughs) (laughs) Sucked right out. Or you're looking at them and you're like, that. those fat cells are gone. Um, 100%. There's no chance of them, (laughs) um, those specific ones, anyhow, coming back. With the non-surgical, we have options of essentially heating the fat, cooling the fat, or injections that will damage the fat, try to metabolize them so that your body processes it and then Mm -hmm. passes it out through your body. I think some of the trouble with that is some people will respond to these treatments in different ways. Some individuals will have more of a response to it than others will. And so I think that's where a little bit of the variability in the results come in. Right. In terms of heating, there's ultrasound, there's radio frequency, there's lasers, Mm -hmm. but they all have in common. These are all probes. They're going to heat the tissues and then encourage your body to remove them. Completely non-surgical. So there are devices that I can use as an adjunct in my liposuction cases, and I do really enjoy um, using ultrasound energy to help melt some of the fat directly with the probe. Um, But the non-surgical treatments, if you go to a med spa or something like that, those are going to be external. Nothing's going to be inserted into you. There's no surgical downtime from them. So those are all benefits of the procedure. And so essentially probes or applicators are going to be used in the areas that you decide and they will either suck on the skin and fat to freeze it or uh, gently heat it Mm -hmm. with a probe that's being passed on top of your body. Yeah. So the energy that's being transmitted has to go through the skin and get to the fat layer that's underneath. So how deep can it go? What can patients expect if they have these types of treatments? And I think you just nailed it right there by saying you have to pass through the skin <laughs> to yes, get there. Yes. So that that tells you it can't be anything super aggressive, right, in terms of like how hot or how cold because um, you don't want to damage the skin. So I see a lot of patients after having perhaps a cool sculpting or true sculpt experiences with the heat or the cold. And they've spent thousands of dollars, sometimes like ten or fifteen thousand oh, yeah. dollars. And did they lose like an inch or half an inch across their waist? Maybe. Maybe. Or yeah. or yes. But they're not seeing that dramatic result that they might expect from having spent that amount. So I think it comes down to a question of value for patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the non-surgical modalities are useful for patients that are very close to their goals. Surgery seems extreme for what they're trying to accomplish, perhaps, and you just have like a little pinchable area that you're trying to go after. That's a great point. 
once you're trying to really make a dramatic change, um, I see a lot of patients that have been underwhelmed by those results. And then perhaps had they known what exactly they were getting out of these treatments, maybe they might have considered surgery or at least had that conversation before deciding. So those patients who undergo non-invasive treatments, so externally applied treatments, do they have to have multiple sessions to try to accomplish their goal? Or how often could they accomplish their goal in one treatment? Even for those patients that are trying to make small changes, you're going to do a series of treatments for these. And that absolutely should be discussed with patients before. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not getting the patient to sign up for three or four sessions of this and they just do one then I would say that's 100% guarantee you're going to have an unhappy patient Mm. after that because they're going to be squinting at it, (laughs) looking at the love handle and saying, that looks essentially the same as before. So I would tell patients, if you're not going to do the four, then you maybe shouldn't do it at all and consider a different option because you're not going to get the result that you're looking for. And that even the FDA approval studies for these devices and the injection that we're going to talk about. um, That's what they show, that you have to do these treatments three, four, five, six times, depending on the specific device. So you really have to commit to a series of treatments and the full series if you can even hope to try to accomplish the goal that you've set out. Yes. Yeah. And are there some unexpected problems that can occur with these types of treatments, these external treatments? I'm thinking in particular about cool sculpting and cryolipolysis, but um, what are your thoughts about that? Linda Evangelista, who is obviously very famous, um, she wrote an op-ed piece um, that I think brought a lot of attention to this, but Specifically with cool sculpting or cryolipolysis, the freezing of the fat. Mm-hmm. This is what we're back to what we're talking about is you're damaging the fat and then hoping your body rids you of it <laughs> to a degree. Yes. Not all the time. So for her and other patients, um, unfortunately, what she experienced was something called paradoxical adipose hyperplasia. What does that mean? It means like unexpected, unanticipated addition of fat. How horrifying for patients, right? Absolutely. You sign up for this series of treatments. Um, you're expecting to be more sculpted in smaller, fewer fat cells. And then, in fact, your body starts producing fat. And it, this is also not normal fat because I've gone in and done liposuction on patients who've experienced this before. It's very hard. It's very firm, fibrous. It's uh, difficult to get out. I like to use my internal ultrasound probe yeah. to help break that up. Yeah. And the, what the patients end up looking like is it's like they have little hard butter sticks everywhere that the applicator was placed on their body or um, also for, her, I believe she did under her chin, she was talking about it and then said it was disfiguring. Yeah, not a good look. Not a good look and, and very distressing yeah, sure. um, for patients to go through yeah. that. And not all the providers or those who offer cool sculpting necessarily know what this phenomenon is. And yeah. so I think that also can be scary for patients if they're being told like, oh, this is normal or, or you're imagining it. Yeah, you're actually skinnier. <laughs> Look yeah. at your before and after. The treatment is liposuction. Um, and we're still learning more and more about this phenomenon. But uh, we 
also know that it can come back too. Is there something about that process for those particular patients changes the fat cells and how they're behaving? Mm-hmm. And so I thankfully haven't seen this yet, but my patients aren't 10 years out from that treatment either. So it remains to be seen if any of my liposuction correction patients will have to have another round in the future. Yeah, I do know that a lot of physicians will recommend that if a patient is needing liposuction treatment for PAH or paradoxical adipose hyperplasia, that they will have them wait six, nine months, maybe even a year before undergoing that. So that fat can hopefully calm down a little bit and not be so reactive and maybe reduce the risk of it recurring. But you're right, you just don't know. And and those patients are at a little higher risk. And so can be so frustrating when you're seeking out treatment to reduce fat and then have these spot areas of increased fat. So anyway, any other mainstream treatments for fat reduction out there? What about injectables? We just mentioned that a little bit. Yes. So that I think that's the, the third main category. The one that comes to mind is deoxycholic acid, bile acid, um, more commonly known as kybella. So it's literally your digestive enzymes. Yeah. It's the acid that would normally break down fat in your stomach. And so you can inject that into areas. It's uh, FDA approved for the fat underneath the chin. Mm-hmm. But people have been using it off-label for those little fat pads kind of around the bra area, even on the abdomen. And again, you're damaging the fat cells with the hope of having your body flush them out of you. Mm-hmm. And I think for that one, probably the main criticism is just the expense of it relative to like the number of injections that you need to have if we're talking specifically about that chin area. Mm -hmm. and that it takes four to six treatments for people Mm -hmm. to see the result that they're looking for. And when you add that up, at least in my practice, I don't know about yours, that ends up being more expensive than liposuction. You can get more fat out with a little wake liposuction in that area. So I usually encourage patients to consider chin or submental liposuction over Kybella. And there's extreme swelling with it too. Yes, it, it does. It creates a lot of swelling and discomfort. And then if you're doing that for a series of times and you have to wait, you know, six or eight weeks in between treatments and such a long haul to accomplish less than maybe what you could have with just a simple liposuction procedure. And um, do you sometimes do small liposuction procedures in the office or do you prefer to do everything in a surgery center? If they're small, a targeted area underneath the chin, Mm -hmm. that's the number one that I like to do in the office because I actually find it's easier to do with the patients awake rather than kind of trying to go around a breathing tube that's right there. Yeah, if they're asleep in the operating room, yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a small area. We just inject some gentle numbing medication. They can have a little bit of relaxation medicine if they want orally, but it's very well tolerated and um, it just takes a couple minutes really once you get started, about 15, 20 minutes to to remove all of that. And then it's gone. Yeah, great little procedure. And then even the next day they can see um, how, how contoured they are and it just gets better and better from there. So one episode of swelling versus the proverbial bullfrog (laughs) that they get after the injections that lingers for about three weeks. And so I ask patients, do you want to be swollen like that? Um, If you have to do it four to six times for a third to half a year, no one says yes to that, but they're often not told that you need to have multiple rounds. Yeah, you're exactly right. A lot of it is in the advertising of the treatments and presentation and that kind of thing. Well, speaking of recovery, 
for the things that we've talked about today, surgical intervention and non-surgical, how long does it typically take to see final results of some of these treatments? For a surgical, I tell patients I don't take photos, formal photography, until about three months afterwards. Mm-hmm. There's so many changes that happen in those first weeks and months, and certainly does the result continue to improve over the course of a year? Yes. But I think those first three months are where most the most of the drama of the recovery is and seeing that big change. The non-surgical, I think you see that faster, but it's just so subtle compared yeah. to a surgical result. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd ask patients to wait a month or so, I think, to assess each round. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Well, you know, I've, I'm sure a lot of people have wondered this. What happens if a patient has been treated, whether it's surgically or non-surgically, or they've gone through a series, whatever, But then later down the road, they gain weight. What might they expect? Uh, Or even if somebody dramatically loses a fair amount of weight, what could happen either way with those patients? Such a common question. And I think there's all this information out on the internet floating around that if you have liposuction, if you gain weight, it's going to go like straight to your left arm (laughs) or (laughs) or to like one spot on your thigh. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but, But there's like a little bit of truth to that. So if we talked about with surgical treatment and absolute reduction of fat cells in the body and specifically in the areas you would think that you're more likely to gain weight because that's why you had liposuction or tummy tuck done in in the first place. Mm -hmm. So you have to think that, again, when you overeat a little bit or have a little extra energy on board, the fat cells that you have are going to grow first before you start producing more. So if you've had liposuction on your whole torso, your thighs, everything except your arms, if you have big shifts in weight, keep in mind, you might see a little bit more fluctuation in your arms mm-hmm. than you would otherwise have because you just don't have as many fat cells on the torso. Yeah. But if you continue to have extra energy on board that needs storage, you absolutely will eventually start producing additional fat cells and you can gain weight anywhere that you otherwise might. But that's why it's so important, particularly after surgery, is really leaning into your result, adopting or improving that healthy lifestyle journey that hopefully we've already set you on before surgery to get you ready for that. Yeah. But I love to see like patients just get excited about their results, how everything's looking, and then they might feel like more motivated to go to the gym or more motivated to um, eat less junk food and more like healthy whole foods so that they can really enjoy their result more and build on it. Yeah really maintain. Yeah. Oh, I think that's great. That's wise advice. Well, we've talked about a lovely gamut of options for patients. <laughs> we've talked about surgical options, including direct excision, like a tummy tuck. And we've talked about liposuction, whether you use some adjuncts with that, such as laser or ultrasound to help refine your results or help with the ease of the procedure. And then we've talked about non-surgical kind of topically placed, externally placed treatments, including heating and cooling of the fat to try to destroy the fat and get the body to evacuate it. And then we also talked about injectables, injecting something into the fat to get that fat to dissolve, similar to the way we dissolve it when we eat fat. So with all of that, we've got all these technologies available. Is there anything else that you see on the forefront of fat reduction, or is there something you'd like to see in terms of future advancements that maybe 
isn't even being developed yet or talked about yet? Even as a surgeon, I would love to see a non-surgical device that was more effective. They're going to keep working on that because I think that that really is the holy grail, right? Yeah. Um, as surgeons, you know, if surgery is the effective solution for patients, we want to do that for them. We want to give something that works. But if there's something safer that doesn't involve surgery, you know, we're always going to choose that option first. I think the biggest game changer is not a procedure or device at all right now. It's been the widespread use of the GLP-1 agonists, meaning the semaglutides or the trisepatides, commonly known as Ozempic, Wagovi, yes. Munjaro, those medications are just totally revolutionizing. I think plastic surgery specifically, mm-hmm. since more and more people are on them for weight loss purposes um, beyond diabetes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's making a major contribution to maybe patients coming in less for fat removal surgery and more for skin tightening or skin removal procedures Mm -hmm. because they've done the work of losing the weight. And then after that, it's almost like they pop the balloon, so to speak, and then everything kind of deflates. And the patients are like, I'm so so happy I like fit into my clothes, but then when I'm standing in my underwear and my bathing suit in the mirror, I don't like that I have all this extra skin. So... I foresee us doing a lot more kind of tailoring of bodies yeah. um, going going forward. But it's even been a good tool for, you know, when patients are like close to being surgical candidates, but maybe they need to be at a little healthier weight. I've been using that in my practice too, just to give patients a little extra push to meet their goals. Yeah. And then they become a, a safe and good candidate for surgery to sculpt the body. Because like you said, it's not just about, absolute fat removal. Yeah. It's about contouring. It's about the shape and weight loss alone doesn't always do that. Right. I mean, we take fat out and then we move it somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Recycle. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's not always just about removing and throwing it away. It's about sculpting um, and having like an artistic vision of the body in line with what the patient's hoping to achieve. Yeah. That's wonderful insight right there. Well, gosh, as we finish up, are there any final take-home points about either treatment of excess fat or just about plastic surgery in general you'd like to leave the listeners with? I would say to the listeners, do so much research before you do anything. Find physicians, find board-certified plastic surgeons, dermatologists, uh, weight loss specialists, whatever it is you're looking for, and do your research, ask questions, make sure you feel comfortable because there is a lot of smoke and mirrors in this space and you want to find someone that you know is being authentic and is going to give you realistic views of what you can expect. And I think if you do that, everyone gets excited, they race and they want to do their procedure. But I think if you uh, slow the process down and take your time, you will be a more satisfied patient, a happier patient, and more likely to get the result you're hoping to achieve. Wise words (laughs) from Dr. Christy Hamilton. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was just a delight speaking with you and gaining some knowledge based on your own knowledge and your experience. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. 
It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.